Jesus said he would return when the world is as bad as it was during the time of Noah. One look around should tell you it's probably that time. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah compares the cavalier and careless nature of the current generation to that of Noah and asks if the rapture can be far behind. From The Great Disappearance, here's David with today's message, The Noah Factor. Today, I'm going to talk with you about uh, something that you might not hear normally in a series like this. Uh, The title of my message today is The Noah Factor. They call it Johan's Ark, built by Johan Hubers in 2012. The boat is a reproduction of the vessel God commanded Noah to construct in the book of Genesis. 390 feet long, 75 feet wide, the ship is huge. It boasts numerous animal stalls, larders, and gutters for the disposal of refuse. There's an open amphitheater in the center and a series of labyrinthine stairs leading from deck to deck. Best of all, this ark really floats. The boat currently sits in the harbor at Krimpen, a small Dutch town along the Moss River. Why did Johan Hubers build it? He said, I wanted to spread God's word in the Netherlands. I wanted children to come and feel the texture of the wood and see the nails and see what is written in the book and that it is true. Specifically, Hubers wants people to recognize the dangers of our current age. I believe we are living in the end of times, he says. We're not conscious of it. Somehow we never are. In one of his final messages, Billy Graham wrote in Decision Magazine, He said, the days of Noah are returning to the earth, and a catastrophe as great and terrible awaits those who refuse to enter the ark of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. I'm sure Billy Graham was referring to the words of our Lord in the Mount of Olives message. He said in Matthew 24, 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus did not promise to return when the world conditions resembled the days of Abraham or the days of Daniel or the days of Paul. Jesus said he will come again during a period of history resembling the days of Noah. In his book, As It Was in the Days of Noah, Jeff Kinley wrote, Jesus links the historicity of Noah and his ark to the certainty of coming prophetic events and his physical return to this planet. So if you want to know what it's going to be like before Jesus comes back, then one of the ways you can find out is by studying the way it was before the flood. Because the Bible says, as it was then, so it will be before Jesus returns. And you won't hear many prophecy messages from the book of Genesis, but this is one of them because you learn about Noah in the book of Genesis, and that's how you know what we should expect as we look to the Lord's return. Now, we know we don't know any signs for the Lord's return because there aren't any. We may not know the moment. We may not know the day, but we surely can anticipate the season. We can sense, as we do, all of us, that things are different now than they have ever been in our lifetime. 
that there has never been a time like this time, especially here in America. So first of all, we learned that in Noah's generation, it was a cavalier generation. Matthew 24 is the part where Jesus spoke of this, and he said, For as in the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now the word that first comes to mind when you read about that generation is the word cavalier. A dismissive attitude that disregards all the warnings that should be heeded. Notice that in this passage, Jesus was not talking about people doing bad things. He was talking about people doing normal things. They were eating and drinking and having weddings and taking life as it came. All the time, Noah was hammering away and preaching. Like our Lord Jesus, Noah was both a carpenter and an evangelist. But everyone disregarded his message, and they just kept doing life as life is done. How long did Noah preach to his generation about salvation from the flood? A hundred and twenty years. But rather than turning to God in repentance, they said, I don't have time to study prophecy. i got to go to a wedding. We're having dinner at our house tonight. Let's go see the Padres play. Jesus said the days before the rapture will be just like that. People will continue to live as they have always lived in spite of the cataclysmic warnings and predictions. They will focus on the present. They will make plans for the future only to ensure their physical comfort. They will not give one thought to the possibility that the prophets of the Bible might be right. The days of Noah give us a sneak preview of things to come, of advanced viewing of humanity in the last days. The generations witnessing the ark construction was a God-hating breed. And their kind will return again in the end times, according to Jesus. Noah's contemporaries ignored heaven's message and its messengers. They carried on day after day, year after year, century after century, eating, drinking, pursuing relationships without even the slightest acknowledgement that their creator made them responsible to him. It's interesting that in Luke's account of Noah, he adds another story right next to it. Here is Luke 17. He said, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Dr. John Hart wrote that the lifestyles depicted in the days of Noah and the days of Lot are those that have existed every generation since the earliest days of human history. This implies an emphasis on normalcy, on indifference, on not letting anyone think that spiritual things are important, that you should never waste your time going to church. Who does that? We're living our life. We're making our money. We're building our houses. We're growing our children. We don't need to hear all that 
prophecy stuff. And the illustrations that follow in verses 37 through 39 kind of stab your heart and make you realize that maybe that's not the right way to live. Because we read in those verses about two men working in the field and two women grinding at the mill, arguing for the focus on normalcy. How can a business-as-usual attitude toward life exist in the precise moment when 21 judgments of Revelation are going to fall in the tribulation period? The most transparent meaning of the days of Noah illustrate that normal, unsuspecting lifestyles exist and will continue to exist, and people will not pay attention to the things that the Bible says about the future. We see some of the evidence of that in the declining attendance in churches across not just our nation, but across the world. Someone once told me, if you want to see what America will be in 10 years, go to Europe, and you will see it. Because Europe is the after-religious continent. There's very little interest in the things of the Lord, except here and there, a Christian radio station or a Christian television station teaches the truth, and a few people watch, and some people get saved. But the attitude about this among most people today around the world, and especially here in America, and specifically here on the West Coast, is it's just not important. Let's just keep doing what is important. Let's do our thing. If those crazy people want to go and talk about that stuff, let them do it. I'm not reading their books. I'm not listening to their sermons. I'm just doing life. Cavalier. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. A cavalier generation. Then it's a careless generation. In Hebrews 11:7, we learn something more about the days of Noah from the book of Hebrews. Enlisting the heroes of the faith, the author of Hebrews said, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now when God spoke to Noah, the old man believed him. And he was moved with godly fear, says the scripture. He was concerned for his family. He was concerned to care for them. He was concerned about his neighbors and the people around him. Everyone else seemed to be careless about all that, but he cared. And people who have visited the replication of the ark, both there and in Kentucky, come away with the feeling that Somebody had to care a lot to build something that large, to care not just for eight souls of his family, but to care for the people whom they hoped would come and be saved from the destruction. But only eight souls went into that one ark in the book of Genesis. In the huge arks that we see today, they remind us of the absolute carelessness of the people who were being offered an option and did nothing about it. How easy it is for us to ignore the warnings that people give us about danger ahead. People who have visited most of America's parks say that Glacier National Park is the most beautiful. A showcase of melting glaciers, breathtaking valleys, alpine meadows, lakes. In northern Montana, 
But since the park started keeping records back in 1913, 264 people have died in the park, many of them due to sheer carelessness. John G. Slater was a summer employee of the park in the 1960s. He recalled that all the workers were shown a film entitled, The Mountains Don't Care, about the dangers they might encounter at Glacier. But he said the movie didn't make much of an impact on anyone because it didn't make one on me. I was young enough to think I was bulletproof. And I found it inconceivable that anyone could get hurt and that nothing could ever happen to me. He learned his lesson after a nearly fatal experience on Mount Clements, but he lived to tell about it. Not so, everyone. At the same time, three summer workers decided to climb one of the mountains close to their rooms. The three started climbing, but they yielded to the temptation to leave the path and head vertically up the side of the mountain. Suddenly, two of the hikers heard a scream, and they turned just in time to see their friend fall more than a thousand feet to the rocks below. There's a book called Death in Glacier Park, and it says, Supervisors make every effort to impress upon summer employees that Glacier has a wide range of unique hazards, including snow bridges that conceal crevices in the ice, ledges that can give way underfoot, and wind-created slabs of snow that can break free and become deadly avalanches. Warnings often go unheeded, however, in the face of peer pressure. The problem of carelessness can be seen far beyond Glacier National Park. So many people around us are ignoring the spiritual warning signs because they feel they're bulletproof. It's inconceivable to them that anything cataclysmic could ever happen to them. Peer pressure seems stronger than prophetic pressure, and a careless attitude has swept over our land. Peter, I think, must have been thinking about what he heard Jesus say on the Mount of Olives when he wrote, Scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where's the promise of his coming? For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the world then that existed perished, being flooded with water. Peter said they can mock all they want, they can joke all they want, but they forget this happened before. There was another time like this when they mocked all the warnings. For 120 years, they listened to the old man preach and didn't do anything. But the day came, and the door closed, and the flood started. Cavalier generation. Careless generation. Are you getting this? Is this resonating with you? We may not be in the middle of it, probably not at the end of it, but for sure we're at the beginning of it. Here's the third one. This one is more visceral than the other two. A corrupt generation. Genesis 6, 11, and 12 says, and this is at the time of Noah, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on this earth, the word corrupt is in that passage three times. And Genesis 6, 5 says, The wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now, first of all, it was a great wickedness. 
And this speaks of the intensity of it. It was full grown with no regard for right or for God. Secondly, it affected every intent of man's heart and every intent of the thoughts of his heart. And thirdly, man was only evil. If man had a choice between right and wrong, he always chose the wrong. Finally, he was continually evil, only evil continually. There was no lull in the steady storm of his sinning. He lived in sin all the time, describing the days before the flood. Let me put this another way. I kind of wrote this so that I could say it this way. In the days of Noah, it was not just that man's thoughts were evil, but that he intended his thoughts to be evil. And it wasn't that just some of his thoughts were evil, but that every single one of his thoughts were evil. And it wasn't that his thoughts were good sometimes and evil sometimes, but that his thoughts were evil all the time. Nowhere in the pages of the Bible is there a more complete definition of the doctrine of total depravity. To most people, total depravity means that people are as bad as they can possibly be. That has nothing to do with total depravity. That is not true, of course. Given the finite circumstances of our lives, that we have civil laws and social and religious restraints, each of us could undoubtedly be much worse than we are if we chose to do so. What total depravity is, is the idea that sin affects the total person, that the whole person is affected by sin to the very core, to the very root of his being. Sin touches his life. In Noah's day, people had a vile imagination, according to the Scripture. Their imaginations were evil. That hasn't changed. Now we have the technology to put all these images, even worse ones that you or I can imagine, on screens and instantly transport them to a billion depraved minds with the click of a button. Over a third of all Internet downloads are related to pornography, and nearly 10% of all the viewers are under the age of 12. That's our generation. The wickedness of man affected his will. The word translated intent is the word for desire. He was evil because he wanted to be evil. It affected his thoughts. His thoughts refer to his mind and demonstrate that his intellect was polluted by sin. It affected his heart. Everything he did and everything he was was touched by sin. And the passage also spoke of the violence of Noah's day. And I don't need to draw a parallel to our modern times. Maybe more than anything else, that's what we see that just makes us wonder, where are we? We watch people go into stores with sledgehammers and break open glass cases and sweep all of the stolen goods into a bag and walk out and nobody even touches them. And that's not just happening in one city or in one place. It's happening all over the United States. Theft and violence is so desperate in many of our commercial centers that big stores that we've known from the day we ever knew about a store are closing their doors because they can't afford to stay open. 
Billions of dollars are being lost in the net worth of places like Target and even breweries that we wouldn't mind so much if they did go out of business. But anyway, (laughs) what's going on today in the whole world of our existence is very much like what it was in the days before Noah. I was shocked and chagrined as you were on Memorial Day when some of our military heroes were beat up by a group of teenagers. I mean, I could come here with 10 stories from the last two weeks and I would have leftover stories to tell you about what's going on in our nation, the violence that's happening. And there's nothing funny about it. There's nothing to laugh about it. But it did remind me of something. I don't know if you guys remember the Kingston Trio. Do you remember the Kingston Trio? They had a little take on this in one of their songs. I just remember this and I found the words. Here we go. They're rioting in Africa. They're starving in Spain. There are hurricanes in Florida and Texas needs rain. The whole world is seething with unhappy souls. The French hate the Germans and the Germans hate the Poles. The Poles hate the Yugoslavs. South Africans hate the Dutch. And I don't like anybody very much. I mean, that's kind of the way people look at life. And all this stuff going on all around us, all this violence, all this hatred, and people just give up. And they just say, I can't do anything about it, so what? Just live with it. And that's the world we find ourselves in. Violence, you see, always comes from uncontrolled wickedness. Violence doesn't start it. Violence is the end of it. When there's no righteousness in your heart, there will be wickedness in your life. When sin is the most important commodity to an individual, he's willing to pay any price for it. The scripture says the earth was filled with violence. Murderous assaults were bathing the world in blood, and nowhere was there immunity from this war on human life. It is little wonder that God's heart was grieved as he looked down from his heavenly vantage point and decided to do a do-over on the earth. Well, that's what the scripture teaches, and we'll have more of this on Monday. By the way, I hope that you are back in the routine of being in church on the Lord's Day. I get emails and letters from pastors all over the country thanking me for encouraging you to go back to church, and I hope you're doing that. You may not feel like it, but you know, sometimes we have to do what's right whether we feel like it or not. Maybe you're nervous about going back into that community. Maybe you feel like you've lost touch with everything. But you just got to put your foot down and say, you know what? It's right for me to go to church. I know that's what the Bible teaches, and I'm going back this weekend. I'm going to make church a part of my life. If you do, the ultimate result will be you will be a better person, and God will use you in a way you cannot be used if you do not experience the obedience of being in church every week. There's a study guide for this series and a series of uh, CDs that you can get. I'd love for you to do that. I think this will be a very important uh, addition to your library. So get the study guide, get the CDs, and do your own study. Lead your own group. And when you do that, you will be able to uh, see this truth begin to take over your life. That's my hope. The rapture could occur at any moment, even today. If it did, would you be ready? In The Great Disappearance, 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready by Dr. David Jeremiah. 
He explains exactly what will happen before, at the moment of, and after the rapture. In 31 short, easy-to-read chapters, Dr. Jeremiah answers questions like, Will children be raptured? What will happen to our bodies at the moment of resurrection? And will those left behind still have an opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior? Drawing from decades of biblical study, Dr. Jeremiah answers all these questions and many more, not with sensationalism, but with solid biblical truth. This is Motivational Prophecy, inspiring you to live boldly and expectantly in today's world. Request The Great Disappearance by Dr. Jeremiah, plus the Perhaps Today bookmark. When you give a gift of any amount in support of the ministry of Turning Point, be rapture ready. Request The Great Disappearance book from Turning Point today. Friends, this book is the answer. It tells you what's going to happen in the future and that you'll get a copy of this book as soon as you can. Be sure to watch for us on television and uh, get back with us on Monday. I'm David Jeremiah. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Great Disappearance, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new hardcover book, The Great Disappearance. 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready, Informative and Inspiring. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The Great Disappearance, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The rapture is God's promise that He'll return. If you want to learn how to be rapture ready, then be sure to order Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance. This fascinating glimpse into the next event on God's prophetic calendar is available for a donation of any amount to Turning Point. Donate $75 and you'll receive The Great Disappearance set. Donate $100 or more and you'll receive a three-book share pack. Get yours today at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. One of the sad consequences of the always-on news cycle and the instantaneous spread of news via the Internet is the devaluing of human life. 
Hardly a day goes by that we don't hear of a group of people being killed somewhere around the world, usually from an act of violence or terror, but sometimes due to disease or a natural disaster. We grow numb to the loss of human life, but we shouldn't. Every human life is created in the image of God, the Bible says, and has both temporal and eternal value, including every individual with whom you will cross paths today. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God values life on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.